If you're a cannabis business owner looking to expand into new markets and need guidance and support you can trust, consider Collateral Base, a group that has done it before in multiple merit-based and limited market states. Collateral Base was founded by an experienced cannabis attorney with highly educated consultants with master's degrees and years of experience in the cannabis industry. The Collateral Base team is confident they know cannabis licensing better than any of their peers. And I encourage you to see for yourself. It just takes one phone call. If you're ready to expand your cannabis business into new limited markets, contact Collateral Base today at 309-306-1095. That's 309-306-1095. Or visit collateralbase.com. This is Everything is Personal with Len May. Three, two, one, bang. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, welcome to another episode of Everything is Personal. As always, hey, <laughs> you did it, oh, you did it again. As always, my co-host here is Mr. John Small. Hey. All right. You got one of those. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> That's Questlove Supreme, I man. He does that. <laughs> yeah. Does he do, does Questlove Supreme do one of these? I've always wanted to find it, and I finally I found that. the sound effects. So I'm, I'm excited, man. I'm excited for our <laughs> guest today. Uh, three-time all-natural national bodybuilding champion, advisor to the American Anti-Cancer Institute. I know the, you were either a director or a VP. I don't remember which one it is. By Bioptimizers Nutrition. Uh, also founder of Prosperity and Health Alliance. Uh, I have to attest the host of the awesome health podcast and really, really great uh, podcast and accomplished author, speaker, and uh, did I leave anything out? Athlete and great guy. <laughs> did I miss anything? You know, no, not at all. That's yeah. all good. You know, wait, I, I wanted to say, I was just talking to John before we, we started. To me, you're sort of like a biohacker before biohacking was even a word. Uh, so I would just wanted to know before we jump into it, uh, first of all, welcome. Thank you for being on. But before we even jump into it, you grew up in New Brunswick, Canada. Is that correct? Yes, correct. Isn't that like a suburb of Maine? Basically, yeah. It's right next to, it's right next to Maine and very similar uh, in the landscape. And I would say cultural components are very similar. Okay. So you, so you grew up there and you moved to the U.S. Uh, what, like, what brought you to... I, you know, I wanted to get down here just in time for COVID. I moved down to the States, uh, <laughs> I think, a, a month and a half before the, the, the COVID outbreak. <laughs> so didn't want to miss out to all the tyranny in California and just really in, enjoy all of that. Because well, good the, time. It, it, the, the tyranny in California was, was not superior to the tyranny in Canada. So as a transplanted Canadian, I could feel somewhat for my citizens in Canada, who are under some of the most draconian, idiotic rules I've ever seen. Uh, and so mm -hmm. I could, you know, if I had gone to Florida or Texas, then I, I would have been like, you know, moving away from my Canadian roots. So I found the balance here in sunny California. That's great. And the weather is very similar to New Brunswick too. So that's, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Reminds me. They call it, they call it new, the, the New Brunswick of the West. Yes. I yeah. <laughs> yeah. All right. So I have, I have some, in serious questions for you. 
I, I'm really curious about, as I said, the the biohacking stuff, but your own personal journey. Like, what what started your journey into health, fitness, and also like spirituality? Uh, was there like what was your background, and how did you get into that? Well, thank you. Um, well, I, you know, I grew up like all or most Canadian kids in a small town. I was actually born in Toronto, but moved to the East Coast in a rural area when I was five. But when I was, you know, I just played hockey and sports and, you know, there was just the regular things that kids did back before the internet was invented. And uh, <laughs> um, everything shifted when I was 15. Um, my parents moved from the little town that we lived into the middle of the woods. It was five miles to my nearest neighborhood, dirt road, telephone mm-hmm. poles ended at my doorstep. And um, I was subjected essentially to a form of isolation. And I hated that as a 15 year old, but now I recognize the value on that as number one, I got to understand what it is to be quiet and within nature on a really deep level, which I think developed um, introspection and observation at an age that normally doesn't transpire, I think, in the modern world. So right. that was a value. Second thing happened at this almost immediately after my sister was four years, my senior was diagnosed with Hodgkin's disease mm-hmm. and um, watched her go through the medical model before she died at the age of 22. Right. So that left some big questions in my mind. Number one being, well, it looks like health isn't a guarantee and your life isn't a guarantee. And that's not questions you usually have to kind of postulate when you're that right. age. Um, you know, it's normal to see maybe grandparents die or people who are older than you, but not someone that's, you know, your sibling. And then, so that made me question, well, how do I get health? And then the third thing that, um, transpired is my sister had, and this is all in a very short window. She gave me a bodybuilding magazine that had uh, Troy Zuclato, Mr. California on the cover, blonde haired, muscled up guy. Two pretty girls and being <laughs> driven mad with testosterone at 15 years old, I thought maybe if I got some of those muscles, which I obviously was not in possession of, I might also be able to attract the female uh, counterparts that was on the cover. And uh, so I say I bought the Joe Eater Lie, got myself a York barbell uh, bench, threw it in the garage and start building a kind of a early version of the Rocky gym with pulleys and benches and tractor tires. And did you have meat? Uh, did you have meat hanging there in the locker so you can punch? We actually did. You know, the funny part is <laughs> we actually did at times because um, my family were hunters of wild game, which is quite right. common in New Brunswick. It's the largest concentration of um, hunting, actually gun possession, I think in North America. And it's mostly all for hunting. I was a hunter by the age I was 14. So I had a, I was licensed to use a firearm and, you know, hunted uh, sure. at that age. And to be honest, quite common. Yeah. So all that introduced me. And then I went off to university, studied exercise physiology because I wanted to understand the mechanics. And over those few years, I discovered uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger, who at the time was the biggest box office sensation of the world. He was a multi-Mr. Universe, Mr. Olympia. He was at the top of the Hollywood thing doing those crazy 80s movies, if you remember. Can I oh. can I interject to my Martin, uh, my Arnold Schwarzenegger? My father did the music for Pumping Iron. Yeah. Did you watch, did you ever see the movie Pumping Everybody Iron? Everybody wants to be bigger than dad. <laughs> oh my God, that's my dad's <laughs> music. That's John's dad. That's my dad. <laughs> I figured you'd know that. All right, sorry. Okay. I just I've had only to watched that movie a hundred my... times and it plays every day at Gold's Gym, Venice Beach, California. <laughs> yeah, it's a great is, movie. Isn't there, isn't there a scene where Arnold's uh, smoking a joint? 
There is there. at the very end, at the yeah. very end, and uh, which was a shocking impact for me. And I'll, I'll kind of express that because I'll, I'll kind of share my own journey. Um, yeah, that's after he won. He had the shirt. Arnold is numero uno. And he's smoking yep. and having his cake. <laughs> I love yeah, that. Happy that's awesome. birthday to Lou Ferrigno. And um, yeah, it was kind of interesting. So my journey, I, I wanted to get an education. What Arnold did for me was incredible. And that was, he introduced me to a concept in his book of education of a bodybuilder. He said, you can achieve anything you want in life if you have hard work, self-discipline, and a positive attitude. Right. And, you know, the reality was, is everybody I knew worked really hard. Mm-hmm. You know, there was a blue collar yeah. society. They were, they were fishermen. They were farmers. They were loggers. They were landscape. Like, it was hard. Everything. I was working manually. It was tough. And um, this whole idea, though, of a positive attitude and, and, and self-discipline, no one was talking about that. And so I bought into it since he was the best example of success I had. Right. And so uh, embraced it, went to university, and went through the entire health industry while uh, doing my bodybuilding career. And then 16 years after the beginning as that you know, 15-year-old, I got to represent my country at the Mr. Universe contest. Um, Amazing. And I had no business being a bodybuilder. I have terrible genetics, um, but I was, I was too dumb or too stupid to quit. And I was good enough and disciplined enough that I could get to the world's best. I wasn't the world's best, but I, I got to the dance. And well, you're, you're our second Mr. Olympia, at least uh, Canada. We had, we, had, we had Danny Hester on. Who's a, oh, who's a, yeah. he's a good friend. Yeah, he's a good friend of, uh, of mine as well. So that's, that's two uh, Mr. Olympic. Uh, that's, that's pretty cool. Two more than I've ever known. Well, Danny, Danny is a legend and I'm certainly not even close to equaling his physical accomplishments or his, his level of uh, development. And he has a picture in gold's gym right now. And I think he's, you know, he's around my age. He's, he's not a young spring chicken and his physical development, even to this day is truly extraordinary. And uh, kudos to him, man. He's, He's been a legend for many, many years and, and has probably one of the more aesthetically pleasing physiques in yeah. the history of the sport. Yeah, and I, I agree. And, and you do have similarities where, you know, Danny is also a nurse. Uh, he was trained as a nurse. So there's a lot of things that he does. And that's why he's an older guy, you know, around the same age as, as me also uh, and John, I guess us. Uh, but he's been able to keep that up because he understands uh, nutrition. He understands how the body works. And same thing with you. Before we get into that, I, I just have a question. And if you don't feel comfortable answering this, but it sort of triggers something in me when you were describing the journey with your sister. You know, the, you mentioned like grandparents uh, dying and that's natural. But when I was a kid, my grandfather got a stroke and then he began to have like six strokes and became paralyzed and couldn't speak. So as I was a kid, I was watching him be sick. And it wasn't just about dying. It was about the painful journey that he was in with, I'll never forget, he would bring like a bag of pills. There was probably about 30 different bottles and everything was to take away the side effects of one to help with the other. And none of them worked. And he kept, for years, it was just deteriorating and all that stuff. So for me, it it created a fear uh, naturally of you know, traditional medicine. And it created this journey for me. I went to physical therapy school and I tried to learn similar to what you're saying, everything about my body that I can fix myself. So I don't have to count on somebody else doing it because I lost that trust in what we would call traditional medicine. So I wanted well, to see if there was conventional a medicine, traditional, conventional. Is, is, conventional. Is more along Sorry. the line that use right. Uh, right. natural yeah. components. And that right. was 
usurped pr- primarily after World War II uh, when the, uh, the pharmaceutical industrial complex started to exert its influence because of the developments during uh, surgeries and uh, drug treatment during the war, particularly amongst, interesting enough, the Nazi Germany, which many of the origins of the big pharmaceutical companies today who dominate the world came from. Yeah. Yeah. There was a lot of, uh, there's a lot of, you know, uh, John and I being of Jewish descent, uh, we've, uh, you know, we've, I'll speak for me and John can chime in. Uh, family members are like, we know for a fact I have Holocaust survivors. And there was a lot of experimentation that was going on. Like we're talking about, you know, human trials right now for the COVID vaccine. Oh, yeah. It doesn't exist. Arm. You're looking, but you know, that's where there were human trials. So yeah, a lot of those pharmaceutical companies came on literally the backs of the people that they were just experimenting on. So glad you pointed that out. Um, but I interrupted your story with uh, Arnold, and uh, he inspired you, and you went to Mr. Olympia. And then from there, uh, what was the next step in your journey? Well, after the, actually, after the Mr. Universe, what happened is um, I had a major health challenge in that, that I gained 42 pounds of fat and water in 11 weeks. And mm-hmm. I had destroyed my digestive system, essentially, using what I would call a modified performance-based diet. And so there are... When you're dealing with high-performance athletics, um, you have to recognize there is an assumption that because many of these individuals are extremely fit or have high level of aesthetic appeal to the general public, that they're healthy. And oftentimes, what people are doing is they're sacrificing their health in an attempt to achieve those uh, performance-based objectives. Right. And so... Even though that wasn't my intention, um, I discovered inadvertently that, Mm. oh, well, wait a second. Health and fitness are two different things. Mm. And I had the good fortune of meeting a medical doctor who had uh, revived himself and guys like Bernard Jensen, the famous doctor from Mm. advanced states of cancer and himself, cirrhosis of the liver and a number of people from these conditions. And he talked about the role of digestive health and how it's dysbiosis in the gut, uh, the lack of enzymes, the advent of massive amounts of chemicals in our food and processed foods had uh, correlative damage to varying degrees based on genetic individualization. And then there was a way to actually rebuild and repair the body to regain health. And I followed his program and I did. Six months later, I got my health back, but I got my physique back. Mm-hmm. And then I started sharing that message with my business partner who had started an online business together because I wanted people to avoid a similar fate as myself. And we coached over 15,000 people over the next four years. I opened up a holistic health clinic in Vancouver to kind of deal with what was interesting is a lot of the principles in high performance, um, high, healthy high performance had cross correlations for people who were suffering from a variety of conditions who weren't, didn't associate with athleticism at all. And that's, so I had two kind of divergent components happening simultaneously. And Mm -hmm. when you talk about the reference to biohacking, you know, bodybuilders, I think are the original biohackers. They do all sorts of experimentations to really go against the natural tenets of evolution. The natural tenets of evolution is not to have an excess amount of muscle mass. It's not to have uh, uh, super low levels of body fat. So you are subjecting yourself to a variety of conditions to alter the normal evolutionary responses inside the bodies. And right. then um, where biohacking comes in is using some of these technologies to activate 
various epigenetical triggers inside the body to produce right. desired results. And that's what I was doing at that clinic. I had hyperbaric chambers. We had infrared saunas. We had a, a, a electromagnetic uh, technologies. We were using a whole host of wild things. And I was experimenting yeah. at that. And then within four years later, I made a comeback um, in quick order, won a couple more national championships, went to the world championships, placed higher than I did the first time. And then quickly retired again because now I had proven a healthy high performance model and I've been teaching that yeah. uh, ever since, which was the foundational component to bioptimize this today. Uh, that's, that's a great story. A, a question in terms of the way that I sort of see this, uh, you know, from a sort of a layman's standpoint is when you are uh, trying to manipulate your body in an unnatural way, at some point, your body is going to swing the pendulum all the way over the other side. And when I was, uh, Doing a little bit of research on I, you told that story before about like gaining the forty pounds and all that stuff. So I was thinking, is this your body trying to adjust itself and swing the pendulum all the way over on the other side because you've actually, you know, did something your body to get it out of whack uh, from its natural uh, progression the way you're you're just describing the the lower uh, body fat and the extra muscle and all that stuff. So your, your, your systems are overcompensating for different things. You have gut enzymes that are out of whack, all these different things, and inflammation is expressed. So I was just wondering if that's what happens to a lot of people who overexert or overtrain than their body. Because I, I see that, it's long-winded uh, question, because I see that with a lot of pro athletes, like football players, et cetera, that after they retire, a lot of them are basketball players. They sort of, you know, they get fat or, you know, they balloon, they, they don't look, their physique looks different. And I was just wondering if that's your body sort of overcompensating all the way back to, you know, may, putting a lot of pressure on it. Yeah, hundred um, percent. So, you know, one of the last great Mr. Olympiaism, um, I would say that was before the extreme levels of drug use that emerged. His, his name was Lee Haney. Um, he had a, a slogan called stimulate, don't annihilate. Mm. And Bill Pearl, mm. who is one of the greatest legends of bodybuilding, mm. um, won uh, Mr. Universe comp competitions uh, in basically four generations of bodybuilders and had an mm. extraordinary career. His last contest, Wake Victory, at 42 years mm. old. Uh, and I think he's 90 years old today, still training and at mm. an incredible level of physical development and did not, was not an advocate of steroids, probably the last great bodybuilder without the, the excessive steroid use and stuff. And he, he also suggested don't do more, don't do more in a workout that you can't supersede tomorrow. Right. And what I think happened is the eighties were an interesting time in the development, I think, psychologically for the world. And that is the world started to shrink. Mm -hmm. And as we got exposed to more and more people through mass communications, mm -hmm. the desire for mm -hmm. relevance in that world means I needed to do something to get the attention of people in order to get success. So you saw the, maybe the punk rock era or the extreme right. aspects of music. You know, people started wearing wild things and Ozzy Osbourne was ripping bats apart on stage and, you know, all that sort of stuff, which is right. theatrics, right. The theatrics part. And then you started to see the paparazzi kind of thing with the exposure to um, the television and film industry. And then we started to see, um, because we were started inundated with so much, so many more channels and cable news 
there was an extremism that started to build. And that also translated into sports where right. we wanted to see people bigger. We wanted to see people faster. We wanted to see, we wanted to see this envelope pushed. And I think what happened, uh, high performance athletes by nature uh, or high performance people in any nature are generally people who are willing to make um, specific sacrifices to achieve whatever is relevance level of success in that field. And when athletics, you have a very short window, right? Most people take competency. They get into their 30, late thirties and forties. And that's kind of when they hit their stride for an athlete, your career is done at that point. You're finished. Right. And so the long-term perspective for athletes is not something that you can have. Mm -hmm. You know, like, like, like you, you need to get better and you need to get better now because you are competing in a very limited time window because short window generation. And so we started to see the advent and proliferation of a lot of quote unquote experiments. And if you look at the WF stars of that time, there was no performance enhancing drugs there, were there? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, there was there's kind of drugs. Uh, it was like enormous human beings. Bodybuilding. I mean, you look at the stories and you look at the death toll in that. You look at the death oh, yeah. toll of the successful bodybuilders in the 90s that came up. Um, well, I, I also think because you mentioned 80s, I thought you were going to talk about like, uh, you know, cocaine and partying there too. Because I, I think when people, you know, when people are working hard, uh, they're also partying hard. And that's uh, that takes a toll on you as well uh, with all that. You know, drug use at that time. Yeah, and, and and I think all of that, and and a lot of also, I think a lot of cocaine use is to to maintain capabilities to drinking, which was the traditional, all right. widely accepted drug in North America. So, hey, if I'm you know if I'm working at Stratton Oakmount and I'm selling stuff, I need to do cocaine, I need to do alcohol, I need yeah. to already going because it's a circus, and and that Wall Street. <laughs> yeah, it's part of the culture right. that just emerged at that time. Now, there's a different type of culture. Uh, right. We're seeing the use of, I would say, um, natural medicine, shamanic practices. There's a return to that. There's still an exploratory and probably negative side to it on, on some of us, but there's also a lot of positives as people, as the cycle starts to come around in a new generation. So it's a very in- interesting time that we're, and you guys, of course, are on the forefront of, uh, I think, providing people um, definitive insight into their own individual genetics and epigenetics where they can make uh, informed and educated choices much better than we had an opportunity to do in decades prior. Well, thank you, John. Uh, we're recording it's this more right? available. because uh, that was the best way to describe endocannabinoid health because I don't, I can't say that concisely. So wait, thank you for mentioning that. <laughs> um, I'm curious about gut health in general. So I had a personal experience with uh, with gut health. I'm, I'm still trying to learn a lot about my own body, and I had a, I was wearing a glucose monitor, and uh, then I started looking into what uh, Dr. Gundry talks about lectin, and I tried to do some research on lectin. And I'll tell you, I, I tried different things to try to see what I can use for myself, and then you know communicate with my family and other people. But one, th- there's two things that I did that I, I actually. Saw besides like just regular working out, but I saw a quick change. And I'm not looking for a quick change, but it just like it happened so quickly for me, relatively. Uh, Two things that I did number one, cut out sugar. Number two, lectin. 
I had no idea about lectin. And I, don't, I wanted to see how you feel about it because gut, I understand gut bacteria and I take probiotics and all that stuff. But this whole thing about lectin and, and personalizing this because everybody has different gut bacteria. And you were talking about, you know, using a personalized approach. So I was wondering, like, your thoughts on uh, both of those uh, subjects. What can you do quickly if somebody says, hey, is there something I can do right now today? What would those uh, things or that thing be? Brilliant question. And I think it's the most relevant question today because unfortunately, we're subjected to a wide plethora of opinions and theories, all which uh, have concordant supportive scientific uh, clinical trials or uh, periodical reviews that support that information. And you get what happens is experts who are reconfirming the biases from whatever their discovery are and usually correlate it to their own unique genetic components. Right. And all that to say, what, what does it mean? What, what does that mean? Well, my business partner, I'll give it in real world. My business partner is a ketogenic guy and mm. I'm a plant-based guy. Mm. We couldn't really be much further on the spectrum. He's done um, experiments with full carnivore. I've done experiments with full raw food uh, vegan. So right. like we literally at the polar opposites. And so we're uniquely qualified because we've been friends and, 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 and students of health and vitality and performance for and aesthetics for our whole lives. And we've worked together for the last 20 years mm. and we've had right. plenty of debates about this topic. And we're actually um, publishing a book in 2022 on it. The book's already written and it's just going through all the editing stuff. And we're in a, fortunately we're in a, a, a battle for who's going to publish it with some really <laughs> nice offers, which is great. So it's relevant. And all that to so say, that's, is, a, that's a fortunate thing. It's it is very, it's, it, we yeah. feel gift, gifted, but I think it's yeah. time for this because what's happened um, is we are dealing with the paradox of choice. Mm -hmm. And what happens is I will listen and I get different interviewers. Like I interviewed Stephen uh, actually yesterday on my podcast. And um, what happens is your genetic individual variance is going to give you the full readout about what's right for you and what's not right for you. And then, so I would say, start first with a genetic test right off the bat. Mm -hmm. Why? Well, first off, now we know what your risk factors are and what they're not. And if you can have an epigenetical um, interpretation by a highly qualified practitioner, then you are going to be light years ahead of the game because there are no absolutes in your genetics. Mm -hmm. um, your genetics is kind of like the gun and your epigenetics, which refers to lifestyle choices is what pulls the trigger. Mm -hmm. So for example, for a great amount of the population, that is true. Lectins um, can be very damaging, particularly to the gut lining, which creates a condition called leaky gut, which leaves um, undigested food particles inside the body, which leads to what's called a cytokine storm, or you get an inflammatory response. And that inflammatory response over time creates an acceleration of degenerative uh, inflammatory conditions that will take out the organs, which you're genetically predisposed to have an issue with. So mm -hmm. all diseases come from the gut and all diseases involve inflammation 
And your basic genetics are going to determine whether that comes out for you as heart disease, someone else as liver disease, someone else as a lung dysfunction, someone else as a blood sugar and inability to manage blood sugar. And so once you've qualified that with good genetic testing, well, now you can start um, selecting expertise and information and lifestyle choices that are supportive of your unique genetic model without having to make somebody else wrong. And that's Mm -hmm. the thing that we need to avoid. We need to avoid the sense of, I need to propagate my information by making myself right and someone else wrong. And that's a very addictive, egocentric, and attractive model because if you want to be successful in the world, you have to make bold statements that can be challenged by other people so that you get traction in the various advertising components. Yeah. I, what, a, what a great way to explain that. I mean, our podcast is called Everything is Personal. And that's that's the entire thing. You just kind of summed it up really well. Uh, you know, John and I have complete different genetics. Uh, what he's putting in this body. I'll say. What's that? I'll, I said, I'll say. <laughs> What he's putting in his body <laughs> affects him differently than what I put in my body, and that's kind of what no, I wanted to uh, uh, to convey to people. Um, so that so what the lectin might work for you, but it might, like you said, it might not work for me. Yeah, absolutely. And so the only way to yes, me. so how do you know? Well, when you, when you so look how, at genetic tests, um, you can. There's a couple of things that you can check on mutations uh, inside the body, and that is um, you you can look at. The first, I'll, I'll add a couple other tests that you can add on top of that. Um, I think a pulse test, which is kind of like the gold standard of determining um, uh, whether you have a propensity for heart disease. Mm-hmm. Um, you can look at a HOMO IR test with his blood sugar plus insulin response in the body to see if you are diabetic, pre-diabetic, predisposed to all the conditions. A lot of people just think, oh, well, diabetes is no big deal. I take my insulin. No, you don't understand the degenerative condition that diabetes actually is. Mm -hmm. Um, You'd want to look at a spectracell um, nutritional profile, which will determine not just the amount of vitamins and minerals in your blood, which is what most tests do, but actually what actually gets into your cells, what's absorbed by your cells, what's utilized by your cells, and which ones you have trouble uh, intaking. You can get um, also a Dutch test, which is basically a hormone profile. Mm-hmm. And then a, um, a, a good analysis, like a good body fat percentage uh, testing, like a DEXA scan, mm-hmm. where you'll see uh, bone density, muscle mass and fat mass, because those three are the biggest uh, indicators of longevity. The more muscle you have, the longer that you live. If it is uh, in the right ratios between how much body fat you're carrying and concordant with bone density, because the aging population, loss of muscle mass and loss of bone density are two of the biggest factors. And then, and then most of the, the comorbidities that occur um, are related around insulin management and body fat levels. So if you can keep your body fat levels relatively low, your muscle mass up, your bone density high, your hormone levels are optimized so that you have a high quality of life. And that may mean that at some point you start using things like testosterone replacement or estrogen replacement. If you're a woman or sometimes they have to use both. Um, you can do so in a way 
after you've identified where's the holes in your nutrition game, where's the holes in your exercise game, as opposed to using these therapies to fill holes, fill the hole for first, and then use these anti-aging developments to augment in concordance with a diet that suits your genetic variances. And then you've got a game plan that will solidly take you into, I, I think, realistically, you'll have a very high probability of living a high quality of life to 80 plus years, probably 90 to 100 is, would, would be a high probability. And so that's anywhere between 10 and 20% over and above the high-end average for humans on the population right now. And, and with technology development, that may extend, as Stephen Gundry says, maybe even up to 150. I'm, I don't know if it'll make that far, but I certainly think you can, you can certainly increase the quality of life. Yeah, so David Sinclair writes uh, about that in, in his book uh, as well. well. One more geeky question before we uh, get into the, the, the fun stuff. A microbiome. Is uh, doing microbiome testing, is that something that you uh, yes. recommend? Is that important? Yes. So um, the tests that I outlined right there, those are things that basically genetics, you, you know, you do once. Uh, you do um, your homo IR maybe once every five years, your pulse every five years, that sort of thing. Mm -hmm. All those tests combined are going to cost you around 2000 2500 bucks uh, with the mm -hmm. concordant. Very good investment, in, in, including the spectra cell. So now you can look at, oh, well, I'm, you know, I'm missing magnesium and B12, or I have low levels of vitamin D, I need extra sunlight, or, or I'm not absorbing, um, you know, zinc very well in my body. So I need to that, or there's an imbalance. And then you can kind of go down further than that. You can, if, if those I'll check out, but you're not at your best, you can look at a gut map or mm -hmm. a Viome test to look at your bacteria cultures, yep. what are present, what are not present, any pathogens. Then you can also look at uh, heavy metals, which are mm -hmm. often concordant with uh, dysbiotic bacteria. Mm -hmm. um, and you can investigate detoxification profiles. People that have lived around farmers, farms or uh, factory plants that were producing a lot of heavy metals and stuff, mm -hmm. oftentimes they can't get their diet or their health in order because of these components. And these areas is what I believe is the state-of-the-art biohacking so that you can offset your natural uh, genetic components, but also tweak your lifestyle so you're living yeah. your best life. And it's a lot of fun. It's really cool. And, and, and it's there and it's relatively inexpensive when you think of the amount of technology yeah. we're able to leverage as, as individuals. Yeah, it's so well said because you know I always talk about your genetics or your blueprint. How do you go through life without knowing what your genetic predispositions are and then take action accordingly to turn things on and off as you need because it's an individual experience. So I, I definitely... Where does one go about getting all these tests? Usually you can... Is yeah, so usually you can um, talk to your naturopathic... Endocana Health, endodna.com. Yeah, there you go. Okay. <laughs> That'll do nutrition, vitamins, and your endocannabinoid system. I did Viome Sweet. for my microbiome. And then, sorry, wait, I, I stopped on what you were saying. I love yeah, it. No. no, that's that. I set you up. <laughs> oh, thank you, No, John. it's perfect. And I think that's, you know, and that's one of the reasons why we had you on the show, because you are providing a, a really good service. But you're also doing, I think, another service that's really good is... Right now, we've seen an explosion in uh, cannabinoid offerings out there to the world. And I know when you're on our podcast, you were kind of expressing um, both the benefits and where some of the liabilities within that proliferation is. And by getting some specific testing and understanding, you know, which cannabinoids are right for you and which ones are not right for you and, and how to determine high quality products versus low quality products. 
This is of extreme value because in a, in, in a choice of everything, it's almost impossible that you're going to make the best selection without considerable amount of trial and error that may have damaging effects. Or you start just buying the lowest common, you, you build your, your choices on price. Yeah. You don't understand cost. Yep. Uh, man. John, do you see how Pro does it? Do you see how he set up the next uh, phase of our questioning? It's like, I, I'm just yeah, learning. He's, it's he's fantastic. Obviously, <laughs> he's obviously been in this game for Very a while. pro. All right. So mm-hmm. now it's a great segue since you brought up cannabis and the other cannabinoid system. Uh, several questions for you. Uh, these are the toughest questions I'm probably going to ask uh, the entire podcast. Uh, please describe your first experience with cannabis. Yeah, sure. Um, <laughs> It was at my uh, high school graduation party. I had, and no one's ever asked me that. So I had this, <laughs> I had bought what many of my friends called a shaggin wagon. So for those who were back in those things, I had a blue. You had a van. And <laughs> teardrop windows and the blue mags and the sunroof and the whole nine yards and, you know, leather and suede and a couch mm-hmm. that flipped out into a bed in it and the big captain oh, chairs right. and, and so I had, um, I had this party, uh, I was at, uh, I think it was the vice principal's, uh, farm and his son was graduating with us and he went on to serve in the Canadian military, mm-hmm. um, at, at a very high level with the special forces in Canada. Um, and so we're at this great party and, um, I had, was in at the party and then I came out to the van where some of my friends were. And as I was approaching the van, I saw smoke coming out of the sunroof and two of the individuals um, who were in the van were well known as uh, cannabis advocates in our high school. Got it. And <laughs> that's the stoner kids. Look at those stoner kids. Yeah, so they were the early adapters. <laughs> the nice way to put it. Right? And so uh, I, I, I came out to the van and uh, the next thing you know, I had my first cannabis experience, uh, which is kind of, which was somewhat, um, dulled by the fact that was fairly inebriated at the time. So it was just right. another thing that was going on. And, you know, it was, it was one of those things, right? What, what, was it a, it wasn't a bad experience though. It was no, no, not at all. Uh, no, it wasn't, it wasn't bad. I, I would say it was neutral. It was just another thing. And then I would say that I didn't really go down that route again um, until university I believe it was my second year, first year university. Yeah, my yeah. first year university. I, I I had my first what I would say pure cannabis experience. Although over there um, in the East Coast, it was more hash, not necessarily uh, pot, like on the on the West Coast. So right. it was you know it was a more concentrated in, in experience. Got it. Um, so John and I are both really big music guys and probably you can see behind John and I. Um, is there a certain genre or song or album or something that's your go-to that you like to listen to, whether you're consuming cannabis or not? Like this is my sort of, this is the music that I toward, uh, tend to lean towards. Oh, uh, without a doubt. I think that uh, Dark Side of the Moon was maybe the greatest concept album ever created. And certainly if one is, um, I would say, an experimental and altered states of consciousness, I, I would challenge anybody 
if anyone's done it better than those guys. A hundred percent agreed. Yeah, I've, I told the story before where I was in the in Joshua Tree the first time I did psilocybin in, in like fifteen years, and we had a hot. It was like thirty degrees out in the desert, and like, I don't think people realize that it gets really cold. Uh, at least I didn't at the time. <laughs> and we had a hot tub that filled like ten people, and got in the hot tub just to kind of chill because I, I was still off with the the psychedelic again, and uh, all we did was listen to the Dark Side. And Pink Floyd on repeat over and over, sat in a hot tub and watched the stars. It was just the most amazing experience. So yeah, I, concur. I, think, I think the range and depth of frequencies in, uh, that they use inside their albums uh, accentuates the um, sensory experience so, or the, the, the sensory awareness within the body that yeah. we pick up. Yeah. Um, and, and oftentimes those are amplified by the altered states used by various substances. Yeah. So you can pick up all those notes and go on little, uh, you know, sound journeys. Yeah. Cause they were tripping when they created it. So it makes sense. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, so what, what has cannabis meant in your life? You know, it's a very interesting, um, journey, I think for cannabis, because I remember uh, where I grew up, it was, it was something that you didn't do. Like, Anybody that did cannabis was weird and someone to be suspicious of, you know, right. you could go out, mm-hmm. drink a 24 beer, drive down the road and crash your car. And that was considered okay. And cool. <laughs> yeah, yeah. God help you. If you were, you know, smoking a, a little bit of weed and, and feeling, uh, and, and giving hugs out, right. you know, <laughs> people respected you for, if you punched somebody in the mouth, as opposed right. to say, man, everything's all good, bro. <laughs> <laughs> you know, right. and, and, and that, that which was fascinating because my first known exposure, which was interesting, was actually when my sister was sick. Mm-hmm. So when she was doing her radiation uh, in, in chemotherapy, particularly with chemotherapy, she was going down into the recovery room. And one of the guys in the recovery room that she was getting treated with was smoking cannabis. Mm-hmm. And he was able to eat. And we mm. kept track, and I, I remember this, and I remember he was, and, and, and he didn't have the the vomiting and the sickness that she had, and I, I do believe he made a full recovery. Now I'm not saying that it's, you know, it's causational, but I do right. think his ability to manage pain, which we mm. now know that cannabinoids does, um, upset from toxicity, stomach mm. upset from toxicity. And an overall sense of a kind of mild positive enhancement for a lot of people mm-hmm. was supportive of his recovery and the ability, obviously, to have an appetite under conditions where you're wasting away. Um, university was probably the thing where it became kind of okay. It was like, okay, yeah. I, I went from, hey, something to avoid to something that's, eh, it's, it's okay for some people. Yeah. Then when I went to the West Coast, uh, I had a friend of mine who was a, a like British Columbia, which I was there during the years where, you know, with Mark Emery, when, you know, we would go right where his cafe was at the Amsterdam cafe down on, on the Hastings and yeah. the whole circus was going on. And my best friend at the time was a hyper cannabis effect uh, uh, advocate. She was yeah. a waken baker who was fully functional in life. I have no idea how she could, she, she, it's like, she smoked tremendous amounts <laughs> of weed, like just ungodly amounts and was able to function, had a high career uh, first as a, as a, 
you know, double shifting waitress that moved into an executive function and then went off and, and built her own business. And it was quite remarkable. Um, I wasn't able to do that when, when I, you know, when I was done, the only thing I could knock out was, uh, you know, a smorgasbord buffet. <laughs> um, but it became kind of um, a way I got really into, I was more of a stimulant guy. I really preferred other um, chemicals uh, at the time. MDMA and things like that, which were really big. And so for cannabis, for me at that time was a way to come down from those things or to relax or to kind Mm -hmm. of offset uh, the negative consequences of overstimulation of the central nervous system. And then now, decades later, um, I find uh, a lot of benefits from uh, Mm -hmm. uh, CBD-based products. So I would say I tolerate that extremely well more so than i do like say uh, some of the other more potent varieties of cannabis thc got it okay final question uh it's a hard one ready um please describe your room growing up what your room looked like growing up if you remember which one Whichever room you want to describe, your the one, bedroom. the one in the far <laughs> the one in the forest that was nowhere near anything miles yes. for miles is that like where the wild things yes. are? <laughs> uh, it was a square room with a uh, small bed, or well, a medium-sized bed, bed, and it had a fold-out desk that were. It was the old these 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 kind of wood type cabinets that opened up like this, and then the desk flipped out onto these little. Edges. I, had, I had one of those too. My really? Yep. Exactly. I know what you're talking. And about. I had a uh, Commodore One Twenty Eight. Uh, which was like, oh, that was a really powerful computer. Nobody had one of those uh, computer. And I had some bodybuilding uh, pictures out of Flex Magazine all around the walls uh, inside that room and a small bookshelf and and a nightstand and a dresser. And that was about it. Cool. Well, that's uh, surrounded by. Yep. Yeah, exactly. Bodybuilder makes sense. Yeah, we, we ask people, like some people have, musicians some people have like uh girls in the wall so it's it's really interesting to see you know what what people kind of have on their walls what they aspire to so it's great um wait wonder uh where where can people learn more about you they want to get in contact with you where can people contact you on social or website yeah well the easiest way to uh, find me is uh, by optimizers.com um we're on um, you know, by optimizers, Instagram and social media. And we have the awesome health podcast, which you were on. Yep. I think that podcast is going to drop very soon. Um, and more importantly, I would encourage people to check out, I have a course that I give away on the site called the awesome health course. It's a 12 week mm-hmm. course. And I allocate everything like a, a complete lifestyle component of where you spend your time, energy, money. I don't get to supplements till like number five in the whole a course. There's a lot of things that you can do lifestyle wise, and that will walk people through the steps that leads them to a higher quality of life and better health. Awesome. It's yeah. awesome. I want to take that yeah. course. It's really cool. For sure. Everybody wants to. Play. And it's great. Yeah. We got a little app. We got a little app um, on that um, site. And all those videos are like five to 15 minute videos they can do while you're in line at the checkout or you're, you know, with the, at the kids at gymnastics or uh, soccer or whatever. And, and it's, it's, it's designed so that you can get those little tidbits, condensed information so that you can kind of stay on the motivated. And, and uh, I give it away as a service to 
the world because I want everybody to be as ha- happy and healthy as possible. And it's and who has the time to research all this and develop a, a systematized approach to health. It's awesome. Wait, thank you so much for being on. Really appreciate it. Super grateful. And yeah, John, you want to do a sound effect for that? Yeah, there we go. <laughs> I, I was kind of hope I was kind of hope you're going to play pumping up. <laughs> I know, pumping on. Next Good time, luck, I'm, I had I known. Do do the bong hit. <laughs> do the bong hit one. <laughs> All right, I'll do the bong hit. This one, that one. <laughs> awesome. Wade, thanks so much for your time. Really All appreciate right. it. Enjoy your day, and we'll talk thank soon. Thank you, Wade, and thank you so much for the service you guys are providing. I think it's really great. Thank you. Likewise. All right. Thank you, Mark. Take care. All right, Wade was cool. <laughs> there was that awkward. We always talk about that awkward transition. <laughs> Where uh, I have to take a bong hit after that. That was so stressful. Um, yeah, where it's like people don't know whether to get off or on. It's it's uh, it's a whole thing. It's like, you know, Wait. should I get off now? This yeah, way? It's like... No, this way? <laughs> no, no, no. Keep keep getting it wrong. Um. Anyway, well, that he was really interesting, and uh, of course, I liked him more that he liked my dad's music, but um. Yeah, that was yeah, it was, it was awesome, man. He's he's so knowledgeable. He's got so much stuff, and like this is you ever taken his course? I want to take his no, course. not yet. Uh, we we've had an in depth discussion about this the whole thing of personalization, and like you know, it, it's interesting because he he gave such an amazing example of how that works, where you know, lectin can be really bad for me, but not for you. Some people are, do really well on a full carnivore diet. Some people don't. So it's like everybody, the vegans, and these, everybody's, everybody's trying to push their own thing. And it's an individual thing. And that's what I always try to tell people. Like, you don't have to do what I do. I, I, don't, I haven't eaten meat in 12 years. It doesn't mean that doesn't you mean should that, eat meat. Yeah. My daughter eats meat. She loves steak. Mm-hmm. I'll cook the steak. It doesn't matter to me. Whatever your belief, and, and this is besides animal rights and all that stuff, that's that's a whole different thing. I'm strictly talking about nutrition. The things that you put in your body, everything you do is a personalized thing. And regardless of whether it's endocannabinoid health, regardless of whatever it is, it doesn't matter. You need to start and understand what your genetic predispositions are so you can take action accordingly. So uh, I, was, I was, yeah, I think the big question is, how do you... Find out what now. I know we start with endocana health, and again, this is not infomercial no. for endocana health. But at the same time, like you know, once you, I agree with that, and so now that I know that I want that I have my genetic test, what do I do next? Like I think that was the question I had. Like, how do, do I find a, a? I guess you find a naturopathic doctor who can look at that and understand. Yeah, yeah. I um, mean, we, we that. do that, but there's other companies that do that. All, all the different like there's Ford, there's Parsley Health, there's so many integrative functional medical yeah. professionals. They can do that and say, okay, you have a predisposition to low zinc, low magnesium. These are the personal supplements that you need. Uh, you're iron deficient mm-hmm. or predisposition for that. Well, how do, you, how do you ingest your iron? When I did mine, they said where there was a little bit of an uptick in my glucose levels. Or they said where a glucose monitor. So you can clearly see mm-hmm. what I'm consuming, where there is glucose spikes. So now, okay, mm-hmm. I ate this and this food. I can see that my body spikes when it comes to that food. It may not work the same for you. Yeah. So now I need to adjust my, my food intake accordingly to that. Then I did my gut microbiome and said, okay, these are my superfoods. I should have as much of this as I want. These are the foods that I need to 
uh, you know, moderate. And these are the foods that are really bad for me. And I was like, man, I love eggplant, for instance. And they're like, nope, or uh, tomatoes. Uh, I don't love tomatoes, but like, that's my, that's the food that I should right. avoid. So now I have sort of a course. Like I know what to avoid, what to consume more of. And you found out this through your company? No, or I did. So I did, uh, I did my, our test for my endocannabinoid system, for my nutrient and my vitamin deficiencies. Then I did mm-hmm. Viome for uh, gut microbiome. And I did Vitagene for my own personalized vitamins. So I got them after I did mm-hmm. the test. And there, there's a bunch of different things. Now, glucose yeah. was a monitor oh. from Abbott Lab. I, mean, I can give a whole list of all the things yeah. I do, but I'm not, I'm not a biohacker we- kind of thing. I'm just trying to learn on my own. But you know, people I talk to in this community, they're trying to push what works for them. And I think that that's, that's yep. something that we just, as a, as a general caution, it's personal. Uh, do, you, do, all your, do all of your tests in advance. Uh, if you're a big sushi eater like me, I love sushi. Mm-hmm. So that may increase mercury levels in your blood. So you have to do a heavy metal test, which I did. Luckily, you know, I'm okay, but some people are really high on these heavy metals. So now you have to eat completely mm. differently in detox uh, so you don't have those heavy metals because there's causation, correlation, all these different things, right? Because you have this, you have inflammation. And Wade hit the nail on the head again with every single disease is associated with inflammation. And you get inflammation yeah. in different ways. Your body's trying to overcompensate for something, and we feel an inflammatory response from that. And these are the things that we can mm-hmm. try to avoid if we actually know what are the predisposed. There are some things we're not going to know, but if we know that there's potholes, just avoid them. And some people are like, I don't want to know. All right, well, then keep stepping in them. Yep. Um, I'm a pothole stepper, <laughs> but uh, I do want to know. Well, there's, um, there's a, I just want to know how to test. Know. I want, yeah, I'm going to look at your test for my vitamin deficiency. So we got to, we got to talk about that. Um, all right. What should well, we talk I have, about? I have a question for you and then you can uh, talk about the show and then we'll end the, I know we're running okay. late and then we'll end with a, uh, did you know? So I wanted to ask your opinion on Senate Bill 519. If for those of you that don't know. Sen- oh, good old Senate Bill 519. <laughs> let me just look at my, yeah, let me just check that out. Ah, you, you don't mean 517, you mean 519, yeah, the, yeah. right? Almost okay. 518, but it's 519. So it's a, it's a bill here. to decriminalize um, psychedelic drugs in California. So the Senate mm-hmm. uh, Public Safety Committee approved the legislation sponsored by Senator Scott uh, Weiner by a vote of four to one enacted into law. It will remove criminal penalties for possessing or sharing a wide range of psychedelics, including psilocybin mushrooms, DMT, ibogaine, LSD, and MDMA for adults 21 and older. What do I think about this bill? Well, not knowing much about it. Well, first of all, I like it because I I believe that those those plant medicines are actually very beneficial to people. You know, I would imagine if the government wants to decriminalize them. Oh, this is not not legalize them. We're talking about decriminalizing. Okay. So I'm a little bit off. Yeah. I mean, come on. The decriminalization, that that whole thing, that's so like 19... (laughs) 60s like i <laughs> just it's legalized. ridiculous that people I are in jail I, i'm i i yeah i, was I mean that would it, go there yeah i th- <laughs> no i mean that is just insane i mean the fact that people are in jail for 25 years for cannabis possession i mean it's pathetic and sad and and i it's just uh, like he said it's left over from an era that it, you know like you could 
you could you could get in a drunk driving accident and kill somebody and probably be in jail less time than some of these cannabis convictions. So I just it makes me crazy. Um, so I, I thought you meant legalization, decriminalization. I'm all for mm-hmm. it. I'm, I've always been all for it. I don't I don't see the we've 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 shown the war on drugs has shown that it doesn't work. If that's what, how you want to stop the proliferation of drugs by tougher sentences, it just doesn't work. So it, that doesn't work. And it's just morally wrong to do that. Yeah. So 100 percent behind that one. I hope I mean, California is a pretty liberal city. I um Yeah. So I'm, I but I but as far as legalization and I know you didn't ask about that, I don't even know if that's on the table. Mm-hmm. Um I, I do, as long as it's regulated. And, you know, I think it's by regulating it, then you maybe limit the amount of access people have to the illicit market, which is da- which can be dangerous right. and it's unregulated. And, and uh, so I'm, I'm always, I feel like legalization is the only thing that makes yeah. sense. Um, full legalization. Now, people just think that means that everybody's just going to be walking around, you know, high off their mind on mushrooms. And I just, I mean, in, in other places in the world where this has been, allow that is not the case so yeah. i i don't see well, yeah, that like, happening so like that portugal you're, you're absolutely right. portugal legalized all drugs and uh you know they right. don't have those kind of issues that my one concern about and regu- i believe in regulation my one concern about it's not all plant medicine right it's psychedelics so you have right. you have the right. psilocybins and you have the lsd and mdma that can be produced by a pharmaceutical company so now mm. you have big pharma that's involved in in this, and and you may not have the craft brewery option, and all the psychedelics will be produced by big pharma, and now it cuts out you know the people that have been uh, like maps and the people have been lobbying this for for but, a long period right. of time. But you do have, you do have, um, you do have the psychedelic. Uh, I mean, I mean, you sort of answered your own question, like. You do. You will have the craft companies because because um, that's if you're going to use the model of like beer, yeah. say, or you know, or big alcohol, you know, you still have the craft companies. Now, some of those craft companies are then bought by the big guys, but you still have the craft companies and still making the craft stuff. So I think that that won't change the nature of it. Of course, that's the nature of capitalism. If there's money to be made, the big companies are going to come in. There's nothing you can do about yeah. that. But the, the connoisseurs are always looking for the, you know, the stuff that's that's not you know, the mass produced. You're, you're right. So I think you'll right. always have and that. Mark. You're right. And I, I, I have a feeling that when you're talking about psilocybin, now you can have the craft mm-hmm. producers because you grow mushrooms and different, different types of mushrooms and whatever you package it in. But MDMA is MDMA. LSD is LSD. It's one chemical formula. Yeah. There is no, there is no craft MDMA producer. I mean, are uh, because they're cutting in with different things, but if it's the chemical formula, it's a chemical formula, and I think that 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 right so yeah, one that thing. lends itself to yeah. I mean, I don't know. I mean, in some ways, I might trust a big company more to provide me with LSD than I would provide than I would trust a, a small, you know, California LSD yeah. shop because I know that it's been definitely vetted yeah. probably more seriously, and they they have a lot more money to lose if there's a problem. Yeah. Um, so I don't, I don't know. I guess I, I, I'm not in that business. I can imagine if you were in the LSD manufacturing business and you were a small company, that might make you nervous. Yeah. Um, but that's kind of nature of the, but I mean, you, you know, cannabis is really one plant at the end of the day. I mean, you know, there, as we know, there's different terpenes and there's different strains, et cetera. Uh, we shouldn't say strains. We don't say strains. Cultivars. <laughs> say strains. Um, we don't say you strains anymore. I, yeah, you're right. Um, but, but, 
But, you know, again, it's what's interesting about the cannabis industry is that you are everybody's dealing with the same plant, but they have different ways of growing it. So I don't know. You're right. One is natural. One is not. Yeah. And, and then the other and then um, the other thing is, you know, the adverse effects. I mean, it's cannabis. All right. You're going to get high. You can have some adverse effects. Yeah. But, you know, I, there are some serious adverse effects associated with uh, LSD. Yeah. And I don't I don't know how but Portugal and these countries. Yeah. Like, that's the thing I thought of is like, I wouldn't want to just give like LSD to anybody you know, on the street and just be like, yeah, sure. Like get it at your local CVS because it, it has to be monitored. And I don't, I can't imagine it being that available. And I feel like it, you know, one of the things I like about hearing about these ketamine right. clinics and stuff is that it's a clinic that somebody's a professional is administering the ketamine to you that you are being yeah. watched. You know, I feel like it needs to be regulated yeah. in that way. Like there's maybe there's LSD lounges or, <laughs> you know, uh, that to me, but to just let somebody you know, play around with a drug. I can see people getting addicted. I can see people over being, um, you know, getting, um, you know, killing yeah. themselves. And it's well, terrifying because people don't, you can't depend on people. And it's, it's the same, it's the same thing. So, uh, you know, it's something we're, we're doing right now, but it's the same thing of looking at genetic predispositions for two things. Number one, mm -hmm. people who are better candidates than others for psychedelic therapy, mm -hmm. but there's specific genetics yep. that make you a better candidate than, than somebody else. Uh, for those symptomatic conditions. So uh, the studies that are going on on NDMA are for PTSD, which are specific genetic predispositions. Some people more predisposed to that than others. So we know that that therapy is more aligned with their genetic predispositions. The other part of that is adverse effects from some of those uh, psychedelic uh, therapeutics. If some people are prone to suicidal thoughts, for instance, they they may not be the best candidate for uh, LSD versus somebody who doesn't have that genetic predisposition or a psychosis mm. or schizophrenia. All these are genetic predispositions. When you say like, you know, back in the day, I had a, I, I knew this guy who did LSD and I don't think he ever came out of it. Like he was one person then, and it scared me for a very long time to do LSD and it became a completely mm. different person. But learning what I know now is he may have had a genetic predisposition that that LSD journey triggered in him. And then it was it, mm. something else would have triggered it at some point in his life. But that's right. the whole thing, understanding that, once again, it's a personal experience. Well, you're getting it. It's personal. Not everybody. Yep. All right. Um, show. All right. Do you want to you, you want to ask me about the show, uh, or you want to leave, leave that for another time? Well, yeah. I mean, you know, I I am okay. curious. So we now this is you know when this podcast airs, this will show will have been off the air for quite a few months now. But you know, the buzz last week was the finale of Maravie's Town, which was this HBO thriller um, murder mystery show, which I thought was really good, and I kept encouraging you to see it because not only because I thought it was good, and I know you like good shows, but also because it took place in not necessarily exactly where you live, but certainly an area that you're familiar with, which is like a sort of outskirts yeah. of Philly, um, kind of rough tumble. What's that area called? I don't know what that is even called. Like Eastern, yeah, Eastern, East, Eastern yeah, it's Pennsylvania. East Town, but I mean, it's like the Scranton, Wilkes-Barre. It's, uh, it's a very, it's a very working class kind of area. And it, it's not exactly where right. I grew up, but I, I mean, I, I lived, I yeah, lived in the you can relate to it. I lived in Bucks County, Pennsylvania, which right. uh, has a lot of similarities to that too. And they definitely were Phillies fans, so they must have been closer to Philly than it was to than it was. Oh to yeah, Pittsburgh. yeah, yeah. Everybody's um, Eagles, Phillies, all 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 sports. Yeah, a lot of Eagles stuff. And they have that serious mm -hmm. accent. Anyway, the the show was great, and for those who haven't seen it, I don't care. I'm going to give us. Uh, we might spoiler uh, alert. <laughs> reveal some spoilers, right? Um, 
But, you know, I, I was just curious what you thought because you hadn't watched it. And I was like, oh, man, I wonder what Len, if Len's going to like it or not. I thought it was really great. Um, not only because it was it kept me guessing about who did it. It was a good whodunit. And I didn't actually guess who done it. I was convinced it was somebody else until we found out who it was. But also because the performances were incredible. incredible. And, um, you know, I mean, uh, Kate Winslet gives like the performance of her life. But so does like Gene Smart yeah. and all these other people. So. And there was just a lot of twists that I didn't see coming. And I just thought it was super entertaining. And it's just rare to find a show where you're just like, you know, that kind of a binge watch where you're just, and it's hard. You can't binge HBO, which sucks yeah. unless it was like you, which who hadn't seen any of them. So you were able yeah, to a little bit, it. but I was, I was weak to weak and I was like, fuck. Um, what did you, first of all, well, what did you I, think? I want to thank you for in general? Here's the reason why I didn't want to watch it at first. The way they did the ads, they, sh- they, they made mm. me think that a little child got killed. And I got oh, it, and, and it was a girl because a pink bike and all that stuff. So I was sort of, I needed to get into the right headspace to deal with a child murder kind right. of thing because I, I get really connected to those kind of things. So I was, that was my trepidation. Yeah, when I started watching it, it wasn't that at all. Uh, it was a, you know, a teenage girl and not, not, a, not, not that it matters that much, but right. Uh, and a mom. It was and, yeah. the story. The story of mom. the whole thing really took over. I, I and I agree with you. The acting is phenomenal. I mean, she's a Kate Winslet's British, and to do like a Philly type of accent, and it, she did a great job. She embodied that character, and just everybody, uh, very very well acted. Um, a lot of twists. It was very interesting. I really really liked the show, and I had a feeling. Uh, I don't know how much you want to disclose, but you can ask me specific questions. My feeling. Well, who did you think did it? What's that? Who did you did you did you have a feeling the, that the, the, the brother the person who yeah. did it did it? Yes. You thought the brother yes. did it, not the not the kid. Yeah, I thought that it was the yeah. the the brother. Yes, with the beard, the brother with well, they all have beards, but the <laughs> yes. brother that was the yeah cheating, because because the I thought brother. originally what I thought is that. They had a weird, I could see in his eyes, they had a weird connection. Uh, I thought it was his kid all, all along that he had that, mm-hmm. you know, affair in, in the tent. That's, that's what I thought. That's what I thought happened. Right. But this kid, the, the dude, there was, a, I, there was so much anger in that guy. I always trying to figure out why, why is he so angry? Why, what's, what's the thing with him that's making him so angry and he is such hatred for the kid and all that stuff. I, I was trying to figure that out. So uh, really good twists. Uh, he kept thinking it's- Yeah, kept you guessing. Yeah. And and like you said, the acting, I, I listened to an interview with Kate Winslet and she said that like they would spend hours, the cast is talking about, you know, what's the relationship? Like they, they, they went deep into trying to figure out like every single like twist and turn of like the relationships of those people. Like, did they go to high school together? Did they go to preschool yeah. together? You know, what kind, you know, what- like they made up all these backstories that we never even saw, like in their head. So that when actually you got into it, like it was so realistic. Well, what did you think? Um, so I, I what did you that. think? Who did you think? I, actually, well, yeah. early on, I actually put in Twitter that I thought Guy Pierce oh. was the killer, and the only reason I thought that because he was a good red herring because I figured he's kind of a big yeah. actor, and he had kind of a small role in that show. So I was like, what's going on? Like, why would he agree to do this show? Like the guy that was in, uh, you know, was in freaking you know la yeah. confidential and it's like a big you know big time actor would like agree to have a bit part 
And so I figured they're just going to like pull him out at the end, just like the way Hugh Grant. I don't know if you saw that one with Hugh Grant, but you know, he's the killer in the end because everybody wants to play the killer. So I was like, oh, he's yeah. going to be the killer. Like he came to town then, but towards him, as it kept going, I was like, this guy's definitely not the killer because it's going to be too fake. They haven't built this up at all. So then I started not thinking it was. Um, yeah. So that's how they got me in the beginning. And I was convinced that I was right. And, and I was, but, but then some, yeah, but so yeah, I didn't think it was the kid. That was yeah. a good twist. And if you're listening to this, I'm sorry that I ruined it for you, but we did, we warned yeah. you. Um, I swore, I yeah. was, so I, I really, really liked the brother. That was, that was my, that was amazing. Yeah. The, the priest, absolutely. They did that whole thing with the priest, which I still think the priest is odd and he's, he's guilty of something. They should lock him up anyway. Of something, but they never really, so yeah, that's kind of cool. They don't leave certain things. They don't leave. Do you think they'll make another one? Will they I come back to so, that town? Because it was just so compelling and just so well acted. I mean, I get they they do these mini series kind of things in HBO, but there's there's a yeah. lot more story. Like these characters can be so developing and continue. Yeah, you didn't want I, I, want, I want more from them. Didn't want it to end. I know it's frustrating because you're like you want to go back to that town and see like what happens yep. after. What's that? It was uh, what's that English one? It remind me of the English one that takes place in the seaside town. Oh man, damn memory. Um, but uh, but it's but they brought that one back for three seasons, and so you know they it's just like a different murder each. Oh, each season. Uh, but um, not not the police, not the not not the ones that are. I also don't remember uh, the English one with the with the woman who played the who plays the queen of who plays Queen the Crown? Elizabeth in the uh, the Crown. It's uh, she's the star, she's the detective, and it's a it's it's a movie. It's the show that basically inspired all of these shows. And everybody's screaming right now at the podcast, the name of the show, and I'm not getting it. Well, and Google it's it. making me uh, absolutely while, while you're doing that. crazy. Are you still looking it up, right? Broadchurch. Broadchurch. Thank you. Broadchurch. Broadchurch. Broadchurch is the name of the show. If you haven't seen Broadchurch. Broadchurch. Now, warning about Broadchurch. Oh, it's an incredible show. And it's like sort of the granddaddy of all these shows. Warning to you about Broadchurch, though, is the first episode is about a kid that gets killed. So, All right, Broadchurch. Thank you. Okay. Anyway, here we go. Okay. Got it down. Um, So I'm going to preface this. Mm -hmm. I'm going to play. And the reason I'm playing you this, because I found it fascinating. Uh, I'm going to play you the first song. And I'll play you one more song. But like you know, a little clip of it. And I'll explain to you what it is and why. And I want to see what, what your thoughts on it. So this is the first okay. one. Okay. Oh, baby, we like it raw. Yes, baby, we like it raw. Oh, baby, we like it raw. That's a, like a shimmy, shimmy, that is shim. an old dirty that's bastard, a, uh, but it's, 
old so, dirty so bastard is, like so I'm gonna reggae. Play you three quick clips. Uh, I'm going to tell you who this is. Uh, you, you thought it was pretty good, right? Uh, yeah, but that wasn't old no, dirty bastard. It's not. It's the horse rapping, name. right? So this guy. So this okay. guy. His name is uh, Prince Fatty. Uh, Prince Fatty. So his Fatty, real name F-A-T-T-Y. is Mike uh, Pelicone. He's a he's a British mm-hmm. guy uh, that is a sound engineer and a record producer. So what he does is he takes these songs, gets other singers, and makes them into a dub uh, style uh, song. He's got a full. I, I mm. think you would like this stuff because it's really up your alley. And uh, I, this one is another one that I want to play for you by Prince Fatty. See what you think, and I'll play you one more, and uh, that will be it. But I really like. Then uh, we'll be done with Prince Fatty. Prince Fatty. I feel like it's appropriate. like it i mean it's a kind of more of a straight yeah. reggae groove yep. to it um i you know i personally always gravitate more towards the dance yeah. hall type stuff but uh you know it's kind of like a well that wasn't really a roots that was just a straight kind yep. of reggae groove is it a, is it a, yeah, remake, a remake of a song, of a song or is that honey a featuring holly cook okay and the last one i'm going to play for you is one of my favorites by prince fatty uh and you'll know why for obvious reasons last song by prince fatty To smoke marijuana, it gives me a deep meditation. myself some um that's very cool my favorite was the first one you played me but i love i like i like yeah, prince fatty he's great man i'm gonna ask my friend i'm gonna ask my friend jeremy if he's familiar with I, fatty. I love this guy he's, he's got like a, a whole catalog expert. of stuff uh, that he does uh so 
It's a good name, Prince Fatty, especially after this podcast where we're talking to like some fitness experts. <laughs> well, fatty could be fat or fatty could be a fat joint. It could be good. It could. Well, are we talking good fats or bad fats? We're not, you know. Low so cholesterol. He's good though. fats. Prince good fats. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Oh man, got my cholesterol checked today. We're going right. to find out. I'll let you guys know next in the show. next pod. Next in the next show. pod. Yep. And then you'll tell me what I should be taking. All right. Well, no, it's personal though. It is personally. Don't tell me. This is personal. Everything is personal. Take care. Well, peace out, everyone. Thanks for listening to today's show. To check out more great cannabis podcasts, go to podconnects.com. Here's a preview of one of our other shows. Hey, friends, I'm Brandon. And I'm Saba. And we are your host of the Cannabis Hangout Podcast, an educational platform to connect with the cannabis community and share personal stories while breaking the stigma of marijuana. Join us every Sunday at 7 p.m. to gain valuable insight with different perspectives from industry leaders, growers, and medical marijuana patients. This is a place to learn so much from different angles in the cannabis industry. So tune in while we break it all down. down.